Welcome to Real Estate Investing Unscripted, a podcast from Fund That Flip, where we explore some of the most creative, innovative, and inspiring stories from the real estate investor community. With expert tips and success stories you won't hear anywhere else, you'll come away with inspiration on how to improvise in the unscripted world that is real estate investing so that you can dominate your next real estate deal. Now your host, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip. And today we have one of my favorite guests back on the show, Allie Wolf, who is the chief economist at Myers Research. Uh, Allie was a guest back on episode 15, um, so be sure to check that out. She has a wealth of knowledge on all things related to the housing market um, and really has an incredible knack for deciphering data, boiling it down into ideas that we can can real, really all understand. So uh, with that, welcome back to the show, Allie. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. So my, my first question really is like, what the hell is going on right now? And and I want to use another four word in there, but four letter word in there, but it's a family show. So like, what is, what is going on? <laughs> Corona. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It, I think we didn't expect when Tom Hanks, you know, can you remember that night when yeah. we found out Tom Hanks had COVID-19 and then the NBA had shut down for the rest of the season? I think we had all thought like, oh, COVID-19, haha, it's not going to be a big deal. And then that day hit and it's been like, what is happening since then? Wow. It's been crazy. Yeah, I was in Cleveland getting ready to, you know, March Madness was getting ready to kick off and they had a couple of few games there and like they canceled that. And I was like, they're overreacting. Like what is going on? And um, here we are now. I, I think the the right here call was made, but crazy times. I hope you and everyone out there is staying safe. So uh, remind us, Allie, you know, just to get started, Myers Research, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and then specifically, you know, where you fit into the firm and kind of where you spend spend most of your time. Yep. So Myers Research is a housing data and consultancy firm. And just over a year ago, we merged with our direct competitor, which was Metro Study and Hanley Wood. And it was a good merger for the company because Myers Research was always really good at the demand side data. We track different housing markets across the country and we say, what are the best selling or what product is doing well, what location's doing well. And then Metro Study had all the land data. So it said, here's where there's a lot of developable land. And this is what phase the different land plots are, um, what phase they're in. And so now we have this full view into the entire building life cycle of the home building industry. And then as our economist, I need to look at macroeconomics, microeconomics, international developments, national developments, policy and housing and make sense of what's going on in the world. Got it. So you guys are primarily serving home builders in the resi space and have a, a depth of knowledge and data and obviously everything you're doing kind of in, in your role as economist to help your clients make smarter decisions on where to build and what to build. Exactly. And so we're mostly new home, but of course you can't talk about the new home market without talking about the direct competitor, 90% yep. of the market existing homes. So we, of course, monitor the existing home market very closely as well. So safe to say you guys got a pretty good finger on the pulse with all things happening in residential real estate. <laughs> yeah. And normally yeah. we have a database that has all this new home stats and we update it every month. And in a normal economic time, that database is one of the most valuable things our builders, developers, private equity clients look at. 
But what we've had to do lately is do weekly surveys with builders to figure out what's going on. Because I think right now, if we look at data a month ago, it's not really telling you what's happening mm-hmm. on the ground today, last week, a couple of days ago. So we've had to pivot a little bit in real time be- to adjust for these really crazy circumstances. Right. So, so let's dig into that because that's, I think, uh, the point of the conversation here. So the, the, the theme of the show is real estate investing unscripted, which is um, very appropriate because we're, we're certainly operating in times where there isn't really a playbook, right? Um, we've mm-hmm. been through different types of recessions and different types of you know, natural events happen kind of more in a, a smaller geographic area, but we've got something going on here that is really unprecedented. Um, and I think just about everyone out there, myself included, is, is trying to figure out what the coronavirus is going to do to the housing market, to housing prices, near term, long term. Obviously, I'm asking a lot of questions here. So maybe I'll just open it up generally. What's your take? Kind of what are you guys looking at? What are you thinking about? What do you think maybe, how do you think this maybe kind of plays out over the next couple months? And then longer term, what does it do to, to, to housing? Um, you know, throughout the rest of 2020, do we think? Yep. And I think the best way to talk about it is to start with the economy and then go down to housing, because obviously what's happening just kind of in broader employment trends is really going to impact the housing market. Mm -hmm. But we have to the same point of what we were talking about with our data that we normally had that was monthly, pretty much everyone had relied on monthly data until about a month ago. And now we're like, wait, what's weekly? What's real time? And obviously, the answer that I'm going to here is that initial jobless claims is really our best gauge of how severe and how quick is all of this changing. And I'm sure you and the audience know quite well that we had over 3 million initial jobless claims likely to come out even higher in the coming weeks. And we that number, I think, without context sounds high, but you don't really know what it means. And so to put that in context, what we know is that we started this at a 3.5% unemployment rate, just based on that change of 3.3 million. In one week alone, it went from 3.5% unemployment rate to 5.6. If we match that number for the next read, so just assuming that it's going to hold flat at another 3 million, that gets your unemployment rate up to 8% in two weeks from 3.5%. So we've seen really dramatic change in the employment landscape, the caveat being initial jobless claims do capture furloughs right now. Um, And so that number can shift back almost as quickly as it came if a large share of those are furloughs. And that obviously has an impact on economic growth as well. So, so I think I think one thing that's interesting in there, and this goes back to you know my college days of you know macroeconomics or or whatever, where it was like healthy unemployment is right around that five point six percent, right? So like three million jobs laid off, we're kind of at quote unquote healthy unemployment, as painful as all of this is for for a lot of people, or has that changed since I went to school, right? Because we've been running at pretty low unemployment for some amount of time, like. Is that still kind of the benchmark for right a, a quote unquote functioning economy, or you know is is it a, is, a, is there a new norm there around unemployment that we should kind of be baselining off? So I don't want to say that you've dated yourself, but <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll say that it 
the rule of thumb was always, okay, maybe it's five. And then as we hit five and then you weren't really seeing some of the fundamentals such as wage growth start to tick up with five, then you had mm-hmm. to reevaluate and say, okay, well, is it six or sorry, is it four? Um, I think the ideal rate and the rate that you're probably in theory wouldn't need to get much past to be have a quite healthy labor market would be around four. Okay. So we've, we've passed it a little bit, but it is, again, including furloughs, and it is going to be concentrated in some sectors more than others. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. So we're at 5.6. We're likely, you know, it's, it's April 1st today, just to kind of date the podcast a little bit, considering things are, are moving so quickly. By the end of this week, we think maybe it's up to eight or higher. Um, what are the, what are kind of the estimates at this point? I've heard 10 million, 12 million, um, you know, do we, do we feel good about that in terms of this leveling off and where would that put us on a percentage basis? Yeah. So a couple of things, let me note that my forecasts were assuming just the drop. We're not assuming new entrance into the labor force. So mm-hmm. the actual number may be slightly lower than what I'm, I'm quoting, but to answer your question, our treasury secretary said that the, he wouldn't be surprised if the unemployment rate got up to 20% in the short term. This is not forever. This is short term that he's saying. And if that were the case, then that would mean we would have to have an additional, from where we are today, April 1st, we would have to have an additional 22 million people unemployed. So wow. that's not the worst case. Amazingly, uh, James Bullard has the worst case and he's the Federal Reserve president of St. Louis, he says a 30% unemployment rate, which would be far more than that 22 million. But I should note that James Bullard says, but fourth quarter, we come back. So even though these numbers sound very stark right now, they're based on the assumptions and the data we know today. Many forecasters, us included, say that it could be V-shaped and we could be out of this and and back to healthy levels um, heading into 2021. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit, right? Is the, you know, the, the pace at which, um, you know, all these folks are, are, and it's awful, unfortunately losing, losing their jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, so 3 million last week or more, right. Maybe yeah. three or 4 million this week. Do, do we expect kind of like just, just the pace at which, you know, the, the virus is impacting the economy, um, you know, are we front loading in some ways a lot of these these layoffs in the sense that like we're going to get to the number, whatever it is here pretty quick, and then it's going to kind of, you know, I don't say stop, but, you know, reduce significantly or, you know, is all the pain kind of front loaded, I guess. Most recessions, right, you're losing three, four, five hundred thousand dollar jobs a, a week, um, but over a longer period of time, like, is it just everything's going to happen quick and then it's going to level off or what do we think there? Yeah, so you're you're very right in that. I think most recessions will have, if you picture a V, it will start with that start of the V where it's a gradual slowdown. And I think most people have agreed that this looks more like an I to start and that it just drops down. And so, yes, you are going to see some of those layoffs get front loaded. And then the question is, is it a V or a U-shaped recovery? Because if it's a U, you'll probably continue to see some sprinkle in as we start to see some um, unraveling of different companies and them not having liquidity to hold through for that long of a period. But if it's short term, then yes, we're going to feel it more immediately based on the I shape. And then there'll probably still be an elevated level for the coming months, but not as bad as what we're seeing right now. 
Got it. All right. So now we've talked V, U, and I. Um, and I think there's probably another another letter in there that we're going to talk about. So whichever one you want to start with, I guess, explain explain to me, explain to our listeners, what, what are we talking about when we're saying, you know, these different lettered shape um, outcomes yeah. and, and, and what do they all mean? Yeah. And let's take it, I'll go one at a time and we can check back in because otherwise I will just yeah. ramble for a long time. And so basically if you guys don't know what we're talking about is you're trying to forecast out how long will things be hurt. And so the ideal situation that we're in right now that everyone is like hoping and praying for is that we have V shaped. Now to go back and provide some context around that, think of the savings and loan crisis back in the nineties. And that was a very sharp drop. And then it stayed at the bottom, not very long before it started to come back up. Normally, a V-shaped recession will last between 8 to 10 months. It could be shorter than that, obviously. But the way that that applies to today is if we can get our cases under control, if the stimulus check gets money to Americans quickly, which we think it will, if most bills get paid on time, so we're not, maybe we miss our rent one month, maybe two months, but not more than that because you still have to pay for it. So it doesn't just go away. So we need those bills to generally be paid. We need people to generally stay on payroll. So ideally, furlough versus permanently laid off. We need a short period of shelter in place, but not rushing. We need this to be enough that we feel like we have controlled some of the COVID cases and not setting us back. If a lot of those conditions are met, then we can come out of this. Think about the V-shape. Then it's going to start quickly rebounding. We can come out of this quite quickly. So that's the the leading case right now, I would say, for most forecasters. Leading case meaning like the most likely case or like the, the best case that we're all fingers crossed happens? I think a bit of both. I would say most <laughs> forecasts that I have seen have forecasted the V, but I don't know if that's part what they're seeing on the ground and part we really think we can hit these these boxes. And if we can, then that's going to be the likely outcome. Got it. So I'm I'm starting to catch on a little bit. The the V is like if I'm looking at a chart of something, right? We've got a downward slope, a steep downward slope. We hit bottom, and then we've got a, a, a symmetrically upward slope on the other side of mm-hmm. the bottom. What is mm-hmm. what is that chart? Is it you know jobs? Is it GDP? Is it like what what's kind of the what's the slope that we're tracking when we're talking about these 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 letters? Yeah. That's a great question. So that it's, it's real GDP. It's looking at the growth rate. And that's an, an interesting thing that I do want to mention is when you are tracking the GDP forecasts that come out from our firm or whatever firm, you have to look at the, the numbers in order. You have to see what's the first quarter, what's the second quarter, what's the third quarter, what's the fourth quarter, because they all build on each other. So if you see someone like I've seen a lot of people say, hey, look at all these second quarter forecasts of all these different organizations. Well, what was the first quarter? You have to have a baseline to be able to look at it. And so it is an annualized quarter over quarter number that you chart to be able to see the shape. Got it. So it's like if we have a 10% reduction in GDP from Q1 to Q2, then we, we see the the slope go down, you know, negative 10%. And then yeah. the, next, the next point on our graph is Q3 over Q2. Um, yeah. got it. Okay. So if it's 10%, 10%, 10%, then you've got a pretty straight line down to the right. Yeah. <laughs> got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
All right. So the V is the one we're kind of hoping for. We also think we've got a pretty good shot at, at having that happen, but that still looks like kind of an eight to 10 month um, period to kind of get to bottom and then get back, back to where we were before. Is that kind of the way to think about it? Yeah, it, it does. It, you'll start to feel better as you start to come out the other side of the V. So it's not this painful that we're living right now for that long. Mm-hmm. You start to say, okay, people are starting to get jobs again. We're starting to rebuild our confidence, but it slowly builds up. So yes, that's the right way to look at the V. And then I'm assuming we're going to the U next. Let's do the U. Let's do the U. All right. So <laughs> the U is, I almost nervously laugh. Well, I do nervously laugh about it because it's the one that we don't want. But if this goes on for too long, it is a possibility. So this is something that if we do not get the disease under control and we don't get back to work in the next, I would put it at two months, then you should almost believe that we will be at the UK. It's just that the longer things are slowed, slowed, the, the more unraveling that happens. So a U on average is 18 months. So that's going to be double your V. And that's why if you look at the shape, that's why there's more at the bottom than if you look at the V. And that needs to be that cities, companies, people, they're taking on debt. They're not able to make their normal payments, whether it's their mortgage or their car payment, whatever. They become quite mentally scarred. They start to just change their behavior in general. For example, I've had a friend say, you know, I used to spend $5 at Starbucks every single morning. And now I can just make that at home. And Mm -hmm. so you start to see these little attitudinal changes. And maybe, you know, once they go back to work, that will shift back. But you start to see these changes. You start to see that all of these initial jobless claims, they don't come without a cost. The states have not budgeted for that. That becomes aware on them where the states don't want to invest in economic development because they don't even have enough funds right now to to service the unemployed. CapEx slows down, there becomes qualification issues, small businesses fail. So use the one that it's not a it's not a, a great situation, but it is one that with intentional policy, you can see the other side of it and it starts to come back up and a little bit longer, well, double as long as a V, but um, we're not there yet. I, I'm not going on record to say it's a U just yet because yep. we have to see a little bit more unravel to get there. So when you say two months of kind of the economy shutting down, is that two months from like today again, April 1st, or is that two months from two weeks ago when kind of all of this really started? Yeah, that's a good question. And the reason I kind of say two months is, so we're April 1st, like we mentioned, this is going to be the first, I think, real test of can people pay their bills? Rent's going to be due today. Are people paying their bills? If So I guess my answer is, the end of May, I think we need to be in a good place okay. because if people don't make their bills in April, that doesn't go away. That just gets added to what you owe, plus maybe some of your other expenses. If you don't pay it in May, now you have two months of your back bills that, again, are just building up versus getting wiped out. That's when I start to think kind of crawling out of that becomes a lot harder. Yep. Got it. So kind of going into June... Um, if things are starting to feel a little bit like we're going back to work, um, we can feel like I would feel more positive. We feel yeah. like a V if it's still kind of like where we're at today. Um, buckle up, maybe we're going into a U. 
Yep. And I will say there's a lot of already positive policy measures that have been happening because, of course, 80% of Americans are going to get that stimulus check. And there's already talks about getting another one out to Americans. Uh, We also have the unemployment benefits that the state is paying, but it's also getting subsidized from the federal government to give people both extra money and extended length of benefits. So right now we do have a little bit of a cushion, but um, I wouldn't want to rely on that too much to say, hey, everything's going to be fine. But that's that's a positive bump to the economy. Yep. Policymakers are moving fast. We're keeping a very close eye on a lot of the programs that they're putting out and, and there are a lot of them. So hopefully the money can get flowing fast enough to, to keep people uh, people working and um, paying their bills. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's exactly it. I feel like we've learned the lesson from the Great Recession where it took just a little bit longer to say, hey, this is a serious problem. I think everyone's just like, don't let it happen again. Don't let it happen again. Throw it, fix it, solve it. And so we have seen policymakers act a lot faster and come together on both sides of the aisle to just make sure that we can sustain and keep this baseline of a pretty healthy economy we had going into this. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. So we've got the V, we've got the U. We know what we're looking out for to, to, to hopefully start to understand which one we're in. I would also imagine that these things are, are somewhat on a spectrum, right? There could probably be a mm-hmm. V, like a VU, right? Like somewhere in between mm-hmm. the two. Um, are there any other letters uh, here that 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 kind of play out? You mentioned an I before. Um, are there any so, other big ones, or so are these kind the of the too I, big? The I for me is just the start of ours, so I don't even know what that. It's not even going to be a letter, but it would be like <laughs> a hybrid of an I and a V. Could be one of the ways you go, but you were right by saying that there could be mixes of them because if you're thinking about the Great Recession, it was a mix of a U and an L. So an L is not what I'm forecasting sitting here today. An L is not something that we can directly point to that the U.S. has had before. Japan's the best example where you kind of go down and then you just bump along the bottom and you don't see that growth come back. I call it the Murphy's Law of Recessions. So anything that can go wrong does go wrong. Um, It can last for years and years and years. So I'm not forecasting the L, but it is something that I've heard some people throw around because um, I mean, there's just always a, a chance that that's what it is, but I wouldn't put that in my my bucket of the likelihood. Got it. So that's the kind of we we get to bottom and then we just kind of hang out there and just flatline yeah. um, into perpetuity. For a long time. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And that one is policy. So it basically is everything that we talked about with the U, but policy is ineffective and you can't get people to want to spend money. You can't incentivize them enough. So it's really the policy response and how effective that is, whether you would end up in a U or an L in that case. Got it. So one of the the other letters I think that's maybe not been thought of before, but, you know, I was curious considering kind of that what's causing this, the virus, right? I've, I've also heard a W of, right, where it starts to mm-hmm. look like a V, um, right? Mm-hmm. We're coming back out. We're seeing some growth in Q3 or Q4. Q4 um, and then the, you know, the virus kind of rears its ugly head again. Um, and we've mm-hmm. got to, we've got to deal with it in some way. Where, where does that one kind of fit in all of this? And, mm-hmm. you know, is it something that we should be thinking about or looking out for? Yeah. So that's a great point. We haven't talked much about the W, but it, internally, but I can see how it would make sense. So two things that I'm thinking about here. One, I do think that when we get the cases under control, which we assume 
is hopefully going to happen soon with all of these shelter-in-place mandates. There's still going to be in the back of people's minds, is it going to come back? Is it seasonal? Are we going to see it again at the end of this year or early next year? And I think mm-hmm. that may cause a little bit more savings than we otherwise would have had because people are like, I don't want to go through this again. We saw what happened. We saw the layoff. But I also think Johnson & Johnson is leading the way with a vaccine that isn't going to help us right now because it still has to go through human trials and check for efficacy and check for safety. But the hope is if those two things check out, that's going to come online in 2021. And so I haven't looked as much at the U because I just keep saying testing keeps getting quicker. We now have a five-minute test from Abbott Labs. Mm -hmm. It's not universal, but eventually it will be. We have a vaccine on the way. If this is like the flu, the vaccine helps solve for that. So I haven't really gone down the spiral of a W yet, but of course it's a possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So this, uh, we got our alphabet soup done. Let's shift gears maybe a little bit into like how this, this, uh, ultimately kind of rolls into, into housing, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll ask maybe the, the first question here, which may or may not be a good question. You can tell me if it's not one and just answer whatever question you want to answer. But, um, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about the, the, you know, the folks that are being impacted the most by this being in hospitality and restaurant and other, you know, service-based businesses. Um, do we, do we know kind of, you know, how those, how those types of jobs, you know, particularly have an impact on housing or does it kind of not matter Right. Because by the end of this, if we get to the whether it's 12 or 20 million unemployed, there's going to be enough of people across all industries um, that are affected that are, you know, ultimately going to have an impact on housing or not. Yes. So that's a great question. And the answer is everyone that's going to get affected. I think every market, every sector, every geography, I think each of them, even if they don't have a high concentration of leisure and hospitality, they're not in the clear. If they don't have a high concentration of those jobs, maybe they have a lot of luxury new home communities or existing homes, more expensive homes, where those are going to be susceptible to the drop in the stock market. Mm -hmm. If there's not that, maybe there's 55 plus communities or ones that are targeted towards a certain demographic and who shouldn't be going outside right now? Well, all of those buyers. So maybe that's going to change a little bit. What about the second home market? that's going to maybe take a short-term hit as people just say, do I need to be discretionary right now? What about oil markets? Because yep. the completely yep. undiscussed issue right now is that oil's at $20 a barrel. That right. is insane. But COVID-19 is taking the headline away from oil. Yep. So I think that it's not just the concentration of those sectors because I think there are a lot of other companies that are just uncertain. And when they're uncertain, they almost pulled back the economy unintentionally because I don't want to deal do a deal right now because I just want to pause. I just want to wait a few months to see how it looks. Yep. Makes sense. So, all right. So more specific to housing, right? I, I think one of the things that gives me hope a little bit in all of this is, you know, the supply and demand fundamentals, you know, going into this were very strong, right? The, the data on this, as you indicated earlier, tends to be a, a bit lagging, but um, the February numbers printed earlier on supply of housing, 3.1 months, I think kind of the, the book says, you know, five to six months is healthy. So, you know, undersupplied from a housing perspective going into this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
talk to us maybe just a little bit, and we'll get to the demand side next. But from a supply side, what is what does this do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things, and this is our recency bias problem, is that everyone looks back to the Great Recession and says, "Great Recession, we saw um, prices come down, and we saw sales really slow." And there still can be that sales component that's going to change, but the supply going into the last cycle and the reason that prices came down so much is that builders had, and it's not all in the builders, let me say, it's not all because of the builders, but to put the numbers in context, the number of homes that are built right now with no buyer, those are called spec homes, is down 65% today compared to 2007. So builders back then had all of these homes that were built because the demand was there and they kept chugging them out and then the market slowed and then they had to do fire sales Mm. because they needed to get rid of those homes. They needed to sell them. They took impairments. That's why things got a lot worse. Where we are today, not only have builders not been able to ramp up development, which has been a problem because of all the different costs that have gone up for them, existing homeowners are staying put longer. We have a growing population and we're not meeting the demand. So you're 100% right in that the lack of inventory is good news for the housing market coming out of that because, well, it's actually bad news because you still can't, once the demand comes back, there's going to be more demand than the supply available. So it's good news in that it's going to help keep prices more firm, which will make the housing market a little bit more stable. Right. So we were, we were starting to kind of start to come out of the, the, a lot of people, a lot of home buyers were on the sidelines for a long time for a lot of different reasons, mm-hmm. right? You know, student debt to, you know, yeah. they got, they got stung, you know, in 2008 and we're working through, you know, their credit files and the foreclosures or BKs that were on there. And we, we started to see some of that demand come back over the last really, I think two to three years um, yeah. to the point where builders couldn't build fast enough from a demand perspective. So you know, the way I think about this, and I'd be interested in your opinion, is we're going to have um, we're going to have support for housing prices on the other side of this, regardless of what demand does to some extent, just because of there's such a shortage of supply. Right. And like, I don't know if that assumption's yeah. correct or not, but like, that's kind of what I'm how I'm thinking about this is there will certainly be some pressure if we lose 20 million jobs on on the demand side, but because supply is so low, I don't envision a 2008 scenario, but maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Well, no. And, and there's the, the famous saying that kind of everyone throws around is normally housing leads us out of a recession. Last time housing helped contribute greatly to the recession. Mm-hmm. And so the hope is because we don't have an overabundance of supply, because the fundamentals are better aligned than they were during last cycle, Housing will be in a position, and I think probably policy supported. I have no insight into this, but you can think of like a first-time buyer tax credit that they've done in the past or something like Mm -hmm. that. Policymakers know that while housing as a share of GDP by itself, standalone, is not huge, when people buy homes, they go to Wayfair, they go to Target, they work with a mortgage broker, they work with a realtor, they help builders, they contribute to the overall economy, and that can massively bring back growth. And so I think as officials look at what's one of the levers to pull, I think supporting the housing market is one of those to bring it back to its traditional value of helping to prop up the economy. So I I feel better about housing 
most certainly today as compared to 2007, 2008. Yep. And then, and then kind of on the other side demand, I guess we've talked about it a little bit and I guess it probably, I would think in a lot of ways, the demand side correlates more towards our UVL or W, right? I would think that it's probably going to, going to, the demand's going to track pretty close to that. Um, right. If we get into a V scenario, um, probably not a lot of people out buying houses for a lot of different reasons right now, but if we're bouncing back and seeing growth pretty quickly, is that the right way to think about it? I guess, do we think that demand tracks that maybe trails that a month or two, but is is that kind of the expectation from a, a, a demand side of the equation? Yeah. So we have a new home pending sales index where we have been tracking contracts. And again, right now, the latest data we have is through February. But the reason that matters is right now, going into all of this, February was the best month this cycle for housing demand. When you adjust for supply, you adjust for seasonality, people were out and about and they were buying homes and housing demand could not have been stronger. And so what happens is when you stop that, you haven't changed the desire to own a home and you haven't changed the fact that already 40% of the buyers were millennials and now the rest of them still want to go out and buy homes, but for now they pause. And as long as they can either keep their job or at the other side, they get back employed and they have a couple months that they can prove that they've had stable employment, I think they're ready to come back out in droves. It's just how, is their, how are their finances? How is their confidence? Mm-hmm. And does the mortgage market feel confident enough in their ability to repay that they want to continue doing loans? Yep. Yep. All right. So we, we feel pretty good about going into the supply side, demand side. The big question, I think, um, and the big takeaway here is is what shape is our recovery, um, right? And mm-hmm. then I think it's probably going to dictate a lot of this. Um, all right. Last economic question here, and then we're going to shift a little bit into some some tactical things, um, and then we'll wrap up. Um, the big kind of question that I've been noodling on um, as, as this $2 trillion stimulus package mm-hmm. has been passed is... That's two trillion dollars worth of of right capital going into this system, which I, I have to think eventually creates some inflation, inflationary pressure. <laughs> unless right, they they can get it back out of the system. Um, generally speaking, in, in inflationary environments, hard assets do well, right? Which real estate is one of. Um, has anybody really kind of started to think through the implications of you know all of this? you know, liquidity working into its system and like mm-hmm. where it ends up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's a big question to tackle, but I have a lot to say here. So I think in the short term, the fear is a deflationary period where there's a race to the bottom of people saying, well, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. Maybe it's going to go down. Maybe it's going to go down. We've heard our builder clients say people are coming into the housing market. I think it's, 2008 and saying, cool, you have your home listed for this. I'm going to offer you 30% below. You want it? You have any other buyers? Why are you not taking it? Mm -hmm. And so I think in the short term, there may be a little bit of the expectation adjustment of how bad is it? Are people going to try to take advantage of where we are? The long-term fear is 100% inflationary. And to put the numbers in context, our annual deficit is $1 trillion. Okay, our what we're doing just for this expansion bill is two, and our total debt 
is $23.5 trillion. So that $2 trillion is 8% of our existing debt. So these are really, really big numbers that we're talking about. Wow. And as an economist, I am never someone who says, do it now, worry about it later. I've never been like that. I'm not like that with my own finances. I'm not like that in anything in life. And in today's situation, do it now, worry about it later, which I know is crazy. And I know some people will disagree with, but some of the economic theory related to inflation has kind of left some people scratching their head of why don't we see it right now at an over 80% debt to GDP ratio. Mm-hmm. And this has created a whole new breed of economists that are modern monetary theorists. MMT. So people that want to read about them. MMT. <laughs> so yeah, you can just print money. There's not going to be a problem. You don't have to worry about it. Um, I still think at some point, higher inflation, sorry, higher debt levels will lead to inflation, higher interest rates, the crowding out effect, less economic growth. But the question is when, and it could be, 10 years from now that we're worrying about Mm. this. So no one, no one knows the answer to that question. And I think you just have to decide, do you believe that we can keep printing money and it's no problem? Or at some point we're going to have to pay for what we're doing right now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns right now for sure. Um, All right. So let's shift, uh, let's shift here quickly to, to, to wrap up, um, you know, my thing in, in any type of uncertain time, particularly right now, is I, I like to know that I still have, you know, some level of control over the situation, um, which means like, you know, finding things that I can action on or learn about or, right, start to develop a perspective and, and position myself uh, in the company, um, you know, the best in the best possible position to, to be able to take advantage of whatever the market gives us. If you had, you know, two or three things um, that you'd advise people to be thinking about or to be doing or, you know, data points to be keeping a close eye on, what, what would those things be to, to help people, you know, position themselves to not only protect kind of downside here, but like anything else, right? There's going to be some, some opportunities on the other side of this, um, I believe. Um, what, would those, mm-hmm. what would those things be? <clears throat> so I would say the first is to watch for the policy effectiveness in the coming months, because that's going to help give you guidance of how is this marketplace going to play out and how long is this going to be? Because like I said, I think my two key things is duration and policy. And the combination of those can put us in a really good place, or if policy is not effective, it could put us in duration long, it could put us in a worse place. Mm-hmm. I would say try to look longer term because Besides initial jobless claims, we don't have March data yet, and it is going to be ugly, and it is going to freeze you into inactivity if you aren't prepared for that. You need to know that the forecasts are for GDP. We're saying down 25% in second quarter. There's other people that say down 50% in second quarter. Know that, but know that there should be a way out of it. And so don't let that scare you too much unless you see other things that support the the fear. Uh, and that kind of leads me to my third point, which is just develop this stance on that alphabet soup. soup. We didn't go through that for fun. We went through that to try to help you think logically through which of these can occur. And for each of them, there will be opportunities. And it's trying to find those opportunities in that marketplace. Yep. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's interesting, right. And the way that, that, you know, we're thinking about it and we're, we're, I'm currently in the V camp as well, par- partially because that's what I hope it is, but partially because I do think, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we're doing from a policy perspective, uh, will, will prove effective, which means like, there's a lot of buying opportunities in my mind, right. I don't want to be a seller right now on the way down. I want to be a buyer. Right. So everything from loans that were originating and structuring ap- appropriately to, you know, investing in real estate projects, I believe we come out of it. Right. And, and obviously building in some contingencies into that plan for if it looks like a you um, to make sure that we, we get through it. But um, yes, the, 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 the shape of the curve is going to drive a lot of things here over the next couple of months, which will be um, interesting to say the least. Yeah, exactly. All right, Allie, this was really great. I really appreciate you taking up so much time. I think kind of the, my, my, I mean, there's a lot to take away in here and, and, um, you know, really appreciate you sharing everything. Cause there's, I think some really good nuggets in here. Um, kind of, kind of my big things I think, um, were, you know, going into June is going to be an important timeline to be paying attention to. And, and we'll have March data, April data, maybe a bit of May data, right. To start, you know, develop mm-hmm. some more informed um, opinions around what's actually happening. So I think, you know, the next 60 days are, are going to be big. Um, watching for the policy effectiveness. Um, so I'm assuming what you mean by that, Ali, is like, is social distancing working? Are we getting a slowdown of the spread of the virus? Are, are the, people able to get their bills? Are people paying bills? their bills? Are the SBA programs and different things like that keeping people employed? Yeah. Is that stuff working? Right. And then uh, I think the, um, I always like this, and this is why I like having you on the show is, is uh, clear heads, right? You know, the data is probably going to be ugly, right? So, so buckle up, mm-hmm. get used to seeing the ugly data um, and also know that there is a way out of it. I, I really like, like how you said that. So those were kind of my, my three big takeaways. Did I miss anything or anything you want to add to that? No, I think that's it for now. And just stay informed, just watch, ideally look for data that quick. I know you and I talked about the mortgage application data that's weekly, the initial jobless claims that's weekly. Google search activity is daily. You can check up what people are searching for um, and just staying informed, reading as much as you can. I think as exhausted as we all are at the end of the day, I think now more than ever, we just need to just keep reading, keep learning, keep growing. Yep. Yep. Now's the time to sharpen the sharpen. The t- I'm learning so much more about macroeconomics and different things than I, 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 I ever have. It's I told I told my wife last night, I was like, as depressing as all of this is, like I really enjoy like the learning and the reading about it because it's it's stuff that otherwise I wouldn't be paying attention to. So it's uh yeah. finding the bright spots. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, just look for the silver linings too. We will get through it. And I know right now it just feels like the whole everything is crumbling down, but there are silver linings that come out. I've just heard a lot of people say like I've never spent this much time with my family before. And you know yeah. what? Yeah. I like my family. Yeah. <laughs> For now, we'll nice. check back in it. We'll check back in a couple yeah. weeks. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, thank you so much, Allie. Really appreciate this. Thank you all for those that are listening uh, to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. Um, for more great resources, be sure to check out our blog at fundthatflip.com. Otherwise, look forward to, uh, to having, you, having you listen in next time. Stay safe out there. Your host, Matt Rodak, signing off. Mm-hmm.